Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 214. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope all is well uh, where you are. Here's how things are where I am. I am surrounded right now as I record by tax papers. It's tax time again. I've got all my tax crap spread out on the table that I'm also recording at. You know, this is a political thing. I don't really want to do a political thing, and, and I don't know if it's viable or if it makes practical sense or is fair to everybody, but you hear those proposals every now and then to quote-unquote simplify the tax code so that you can do your tax return on a postcard. And, you know, like I said, I'm not an economist or an accountant or anything, and I don't know if that makes sense or not, but when I when it comes to tax time every year, I always think, Holy crap, how nice would that be? But that's life, I guess, right? Uh, if, you, if you want and need, and everybody should want and need, government services, right? Defense, uh, roads, bridges, such as they are, police protection, fire protection, garbage pickup, you name it, there's a ton of crap. Someone's got to pay for it. So, and the way you do that is you file your tax return, and they take the money that they want to take, and sometimes, once in a while, they give a little bit back. So, so that's what I'm working on right now. So my life is not so fun for that reason. The other reason my life is not so fun is over the last couple of weeks, the three, three out of the four of us in my household have been ravaged by this really awful flu. Three of us went through it. It was awful. We all just kept really hoping, man, I hope Henry doesn't get it because he's only 10 and it'd be awful and you know, we'd hate that. And happy, you know, shockingly, he hasn't gotten it. Yay, Henry hasn't gotten it. But here's the thing. He came down last week with a really awful cold, and he was really miserable for a couple of days. Fortunately, it only really lasted a couple of days, and he's pretty much better now. But, you know, I can't get the kid to share his candy bar or go, you know, get a cup of coffee for me or do stuff around the house that I asked him to do. But he did share his cold with me. So I'm dealing with that right now. If I sound a little husky, uh, my sexy husky voice today, I will try not to sneeze or cough on you as I'm recording. But I got it from him. Uh, Even though he won't do any of that other stuff for me, he'll gladly share his germs with me. So, you know, really what I'm saying is kids are jerks. If we can take anything, any lessons away from life, uh, that's it. All right, so normally at this point in the show... You would hear the bouncy Mad Mike Hughes jingle. Gonna prove the earth is flat and his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. It doesn't really seem appropriate to play that today. Uh, As you know, if you've been following the Mad Mike story yourself or if you've seen my recent posts on social media, um, there was a, a tragic accident last week. Unfortunately, this didn't come out. It happened on a Saturday my last episode, 213, the Indy 500 episode, came out on the Sunday. You know, it had already been recorded and edited and uploaded and everything by the time that I, I heard about this. So if you listen to last week's episode, you hear me you know, doing the bouncy jingle and, and talking about Mad Mike, uh, not knowing the, the horrible news that uh, he has died, unfortunately. Um, there was an accident at a launch yesterday. I'm recording this on a Sunday. Uh, the Sunday that you're hearing episode 
2.13, I'm recording 2.14, because that's how my schedule worked out. So on the Saturday, yesterday for me, I read early in the day that he was doing a launch. It was supposed to be recorded for a TV show. And I was excited because I thought, great, I finally have some Mad Mike Hughes news to talk about. And then late in the day, uh, honestly, I started getting posts, messages from you guys saying, you know, condolences and sorry for your loss and, and all that. And I, what are you talking about? And then finally, I mean, some of you started uh, linking articles for me and I realized what had happened. So he was doing a launch outside of Barstow, in a homemade rocket, of course. The launch was captured on video. The rocket launched, but evidently an, a parachute failed to activate and the rocket crashed. Um, this is according to his publicist, uh, public relations representative Darren Schuster. The goal on Saturday was to get up to 5,000 feet, according to a post on space.com. The Los Angeles Times article I'm looking at right now quotes Justin Chapman, a freelance writer, saying, quote, everyone was stunned. They didn't know what to do. He landed about a half mile away from the launch pad. San Bernardino County coroner's office apparently has released a statement saying there would be a lengthy investigation. And as of Saturday, there really were no details uh, available yet. The launch was being recorded uh, for a show called Homemade Astronauts, uh, which I guess is a show on the Science Channel, which follows people looking to, quote, explore the final frontier on limited budgets. Chapman uh, told the Times that he thought Hughes was probably knocked unconscious during the launch. Uh, the parachute ripped off at launch, so the rocket went straight up in an arc and came straight down. None of Hughes's backup parachutes activated either. Uh, then they summarize Hughes's story a little bit. Hughes, 64, had been performing stunts for decades, making long-distance jumps in a limousine and, in more recent years, riding in his own homemade rockets. In 2018, his rocket soared nearly 1,900 feet into the air, landing in the Mojave Desert. Before the launch, Hughes told the Associated Press that he believed Earth is flat, or in his words, shaped like a frisbee, and that he wanted to fly into space to make sure. The publicist, however, who was not at the launch on Saturday, said the Flat Earth argument helped drum up publicity and sponsors, but, quote, I don't think he believed it. He did have some governmental conspiracy theories, but don't confuse it with the Flat Earth thing. That was a PR stunt we dreamed up. I knew it. I've been saying that all along, that I didn't really think Hughes was probably a, a big Flat Earther. He just was happy to take their money. Eric Sherwin, spokesman for the San Bernardino County Fire Department, said his agency had neither been alerted in advance that Saturday's rocket launch was going to take place, nor informed of the fatality after it occurred. Hmm. That's interesting. Fire department officials will look into why they were not told of the crash. A private company, Desert Ambulance, was on the scene at the time. They said they had a fatality and pronounced a single person deceased at 1.45 this afternoon. Quoting the publicist again, This guy knew he wasn't going to live till 80. I spent a lot, of, a lot of hours with him. He had something in him that compelled him to push himself further each time. CNN quoted from a Science Channel uh, statement, Our thoughts and prayers go out to Mike Hughes' family and friends during this difficult time. It was always his dream to do this launch, and Science Channel was there to chronicle his journey. He eventually hoped to develop a rocket that would launch him 62 miles in the air to where the Earth's atmosphere meets outer space. Deputies responded to the fatal crash off Highway 247 in Barstow on Saturday afternoon. While authorities did not formally identify Hughes, they said a man was pronounced dead after a rocket crashed in the open desert. No other injuries were reported. Evidently, the show Homemade Astronauts is a, post, is a new show and is supposed to premiere sometime this year. I have not seen anything that says whether they're still going to run a story about this. There's an article in The Sun that says a video posted on Twitter shows a parachute separating from the rocket just after launch, and then moments later the rocket falling from hundreds of feet nose down. Even for a daredevil, it had to be a scary way to go. 
I mean, I imagine he kind of realized what happened and how it was going to turn out. I mean, he's crashed before and gotten injured, but he had to know, being this high up, it was not going to end well. A sheriff's spokeswoman was not able to immediately provide any other details or confirm the identity of the dead man. The sheriff's aviation and special investigations units are trying to determine the cause of the crash. The Federal Aviation Administration was not involved in the investigation, FAA spokesman Ian Greger said. Quote, in the past, we determined his previous flight attempts did not fall within the FAA's regulatory authority. The premise of that show, Homemade Astronauts, involves two other teams set to launch a rocket on a tight budget. In August, Space.com reported Hughes' attempt to launch the rocket was scuttled when the water heater he bought off Craigslist for $325 failed to heat the water enough to create steam. We talked about that, too. Hughes also acquired a nose cone for the decidedly un-NASA-like price of $50. No one knows where the nose cone came from or what its original intent was. Quoting Mad Mike himself, talking to the AP in 2018, quote, My story really is incredible. It's got a bunch of storylines. The garage built thing. I'm an older guy. It's out in the middle of nowhere, plus the flat earth. The problem is it brings out all the nuts also. People questioning everything. It's the downside of all this. Close quote. And I guess it's that angle that made us talk about it every week here on the podcast because obviously this story has nothing to do with either Atari video games or me writing a story and reading it to you every week. Except that Hughes was an interesting character. I mentioned offhandedly the first article I read about him trying to do these launches one time. It's sort of a, an odd little story on the podcast and probably wouldn't have done anything else with it, but something about him made me want to check in every week and see how he was doing. Uh, I'm not a flat earther. I tried reading his biography, and it was, you know, honestly, it was an awful book. It was written terribly, and some of the views that kind of came out I that he was held didn't necessarily jibe with, with my outlook on things, but... Uh, I tried. I, I couldn't finish it. it. It was a terrible book. But I stuck with seeing if Hughes could get these rockets built and launched. And because uh, it was just, he was just an interesting character. He's just kind of out there doing his thing. The comments on social media, thanks, by the way, for, for letting me know, cluing me in that this happened. I mean, the comments had kind of ranged from, you know, shock to uh, somebody actually said good riddance. I don't necessarily feel that way. Uh, I, I think it's a tragedy that he died. I think it was a goofy thing to do, especially if his stated goal was to to demonstrate whether or not the Earth was flat. Uh, it seems clear, at least from what his publicist, publicist was saying, that he didn't believe that either, uh, He, but he was happy to take their money to, to fulfill his mission. And, you know, I guess there's nothing wrong with wanting to do a little science, even if you lose the even if you use the term science loosely, right? He wanted to get up there into the atmosphere and take some photos and just say, look, let's let's check it out and see. Even if it is, does sound kind of loony, he was going to get up there in, in, a, in a time when science is not trusted or scoffed at. He wanted to get out there and, and get some evidence for himself. So I, I, I respect that, even if it's to try and prove something ridiculous, like maybe the earth is flat. And I don't, I don't share the view that it, he deserved it or anything. I think it was, I think it's awful that he died. Even if I don't agree with him politically, uh, I respect the fact that he had an outlook on life. He had a way of doing what he loved to do, and he was out there doing it. And he was pushing the envelope, you know, and taking risks. And I think there's a lot to respect about that. Um, 
so I, I, I think it's tragic that he's gone. I feel terrible for his family and friends uh, that lost. I didn't know the guy. I mean, some of you were directing condolences to me. <laughs> All I've lost, really, is a segment on my show. I'll find other things to talk about. That's okay. So I, I think it's just sad that somebody who was a, a free thinker and was willing to push things to the extreme uh, is gone. Because we, I think more than ever, we need people like that. Uh, and there just aren't enough. So, you know, rest in peace, Mad Mike. You, you, you did it your way. Uh, and, and I give you props for that. So if you, have, if you guys have more thoughts about Mad Mike, Sean Courtney actually already did comment uh, a comment that I liked, even if reading it to you now is going to be somewhat self-serving. Uh, I think it's a nice summary of kind of how I feel about it. Now I, I gotta see if I can find it. Self-serving for me, by the way, not for Sean. Sean wrote, it just says a lot about William Pepper's writing and storytelling talents that he actually got me to root for two conspiracy nut jobs. One make believe, this is the self-serving part, Dogwater Hunt and his book St. Nick of Time, which, uh, which you need to read. Uh, in the St. Nick of Time is what that book's called. I had a character in that book that, um, he wasn't building rockets, but he had sort of a, a unique outlook on the world, uh, a bit like Mad Mike, and he did sort of dip into the conspiracy. Not a flat earther per se, but I would suspect he would certainly be open to the idea of the flat earth. And then Sean says, rest in peace, Mad Mike Hughes, and I guess you and I guess you now know for sure. I just thought that was a nice summary of kind of how to look at this guy, right? Even if you didn't agree with him, you root for him. And maybe there's some comfort in knowing, you know, depending on your beliefs about the afterlife or lack thereof, you know, maybe he goes on to a better place and gains some insight into the universe that we don't get to have while we're still alive. So, uh, and there's some comfort in that. So, farewell, Mad Mike. You'll be missed. If I can come up with some sort of appropriate music for this moment, I will play it here. Otherwise, I am sliding right into the next segment. So, buckle up. So last week on the show, I played Indy 500, and in the course of talking about that game, I talked about the distinction between Indy 500, featuring obviously Indy cars, and Daytona 500, featuring NASCARs. And they had the race. Turned out the track was too wet, I think, on the Sunday. So they delayed the race to the next day. Uh, I don't really care about all that. I'm not even sure who won. Um, I think there was uh, some tragedy. Uh, there was a, a pretty serious crash, although I guess the driver is okay. What's more interesting to me is Donald Trump, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. Trump apparently did show up there on Sunday as rumored. He ushered in the start of the Daytona 500 with a lap of the story track in his armored presidential limo, nicknamed The Beast. I didn't know if he would actually do that or not. That was a rumor, but apparently he did. He gave the grand marshal speech, giving remarks from Victory Lane. I think, it's not in this article, but I think he you know, flew in to the uh, arena or whatever, the stadium, uh, you know, in, in the presidential helicopter and all that crap. 
So, yeah, I just wanted to follow up because it was a rumor that he was going to do that, and he did because there's nothing Donald Trump loves more than a big crowd staring at him. So he got what he wanted, I guess. In other news, it is apparently 1990 again. I say this because I got a letter in the mail this week, an actual physical paper letter from my father with a newspaper clipping. Not only does my do my parents still subscribe to a paper newspaper, um, they clip things out of it. And he mailed me one, um, just like he and my mom used to do when I was in college, um, way back, you know, back in the olden days before internet. So he did. He mailed me one. He recently retired again. Oh, by the way, hi, Dad. I don't know if you're listening to this, but you have more time now, so maybe you are. He uh, is 85. Um, he retired from a long career many, many, many years ago. Uh, went on to have another career after that. Retired from that. And then uh, has been working for the last few years. Uh, maybe not that long, but a while. Just, you know, punching a clock at Menards. Just trying to have something to do, make a little extra money. But he recently had some health issues. He's fine now. But it was enough that it kind of made him think, you know, I'm 85. Maybe I need to, you know, stop punching the clock. So he he has officially retired now. And he's got more time. So he found an article in the newspaper and he sent it to me. Uh, it was basically just an article. The headline is, Your old tech can do more than merely collect dust. Uh, it's just sort of a, a overview of how old technology, including, uh, they, they call out Atari 2600 games, Commodore 64, uh, Apple Macintosh, Vinyl Records, the iPhone. The iPhone, that one's an iPod classic. They mentioned those. That's kind of fascinating to me that iPod and iPhones have been around long enough now that the original ones are considered classic tech now, that people will pay obscene amounts of money uh, to collect. Um, it it's just kind of blows my mind. PlayStation 2. Um, which I have, I'm looking at it right now, it's over on the shelf with uh, the Atari stuff. So I guess what I'm saying here is I'm old because the stuff they're talking about in this article as being collector's items are stuff that were just items when I was growing up and as an adult even. So thanks for sending that article, Dad. It's uh, always nice to be reminded that I'm getting old. All right. In other news, there is no other news. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... Golf from Atari, 1980. A notable year because, of course, that's when Empire Strikes Back, uh, which is generally thought of as the best of the original trilogy of Star Wars movies. Uh, it came out in 1980, I believe. It is a year before Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. Um, I don't know. Probably other stuff happened in 19 happened in 1980, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> So golf came out uh, in 1980. Golf is a game where you play golf. All right, have we established that? I guess we can move on. All right, I'll tell you how to play the game. So we used a joystick uh, to play. You can play with two players, in which case you need two joysticks. The golf game program is patterned after the traditional game of golf. There are nine holes in which you must succeed in hitting the ball into a cup. So, yeah, they call them holes, but you're not hitting it into a hole, you're hitting it into a cup. I'm already very confused. Each time you hit the ball in an effort to reach the cup, it is called a stroke. Although the number of strokes you take to hit the ball into the cup is unlimited, each hole has a designated par. Par represents the number of strokes you are ideally supposed to take to complete the hole. Total par for this course is 36. 
The par for each hole is displayed at the top of the screen, next to the hole number. See video representation key diagram number two and three. That's the thing. The manual is pretty thick, but most of it is diagrams. When playing a one-player game, try to match or beat par. In two-player games, the player with the least amount of strokes is the winner. Then we get the first of the diagrams, the video representation key, um, with 16 little numbered lines pointing to various things. You have the left player score, the whole number, the par, what's par for the hole, the right player score, the tree, a tree, the fairway, a green, uh, the green, uh, the hole or cup, the sand trap, the rough, the golf ball, the club, the golfer, the water hazard, the close-up view of the green, the close-up view of the hole or cup. The following screen diagrams show you each hole. Yeah, that's, that's true. They have a diagram for each of the holes, which is kind of nice, so you can kind of see what you're in for. Frankly, there's not a whole lot of difference. Uh, a little bit, I guess, but they all kind of look the same. And then here's where it gets confusing. Use the joystick to walk the golfer around the course, as well as to swing the club and hit the ball. The left or single player uses the joystick plugged into the left controller jack. The second or right player in a two-player game uses the joystick plugged into the right controller jack, because that's how left and right works. Moving the joystick in the directions shown in the diagram, can everybody see in the back? Hey, hey, stop messing with your putter and pay attention. All right. The golfer's club always points toward the ball. The golfer will walk in all vertical, horizontal, and diagonal directions in accordance with the joystick's position. To start the golfer's backswing, press the controller button. The longer you hold the button, the longer the backswing, and the farther the ball will travel when hit. I'm going to call BS on that, because I didn't notice any difference. When you release the controller button, the golfer starts the forward swing. If any part of the club or the golfer hits the ball while the forward swing is in progress, the ball will be set in motion. In the field report, I express a lot of frustration with this. I have a, had a really hard time with positioning the golfer, which is what this next part talks about. As noted before, the golfer's club always points toward the ball. To change the angles of the club in relation to the ball, position the tip of the club over the ball and walk the golfer around the ball using the joystick. When you find the position you want, leave the tip of the club over the ball and press the controller button to start a backswing. I think maybe... In fairness to the manual, I think maybe I was not, I think maybe I was trying to position the golfer too much before putting the club, the tip of the club, on the ball. This seems to make it sound like you should do that first, and then position your golfer. I think maybe I screwed up there. Alright, I still think it's garbage, but I'm also acknowledging that's possible. I was garbage. Once hit, the ball will travel in a perpendicular direction away from the club. Then they have little diagrams of the golfer in various in various positions. Uh, ooh, that's a naughty, naughty position. Bad golfer. Just kidding. The direction the ball travels is set the moment the backswing begins. You may not change the direction once the swing has started in motion. Move or walk the golfer away from the from the ball, and take a practice swing to confirm the direction of the swing when in doubt about a shot. There is no penalty stroke when you take a practice swing. When the ball hits a tree without sufficient momentum, it will bounce directly backward. When the ball lands in a water hazard, it will be returned to the fairway closest to the point of entry, and a one-stroke penalty will be added to your score. Balls that land in sand, sand traps are temporarily stuck. The ball loses momentum when hit while in a sand trap. It also becomes invisible when caught by in a sand trap. You can locate the ball by noting which direction the club is pointing. Notice in the diagram that although the ball is not visible, the club is pointing in a specific direction. See? Seriously, put the putter down. Shouldn't be doing that here anyway. Moving the golfer and club through the sand trap and 
Move the golfer and club through the sand trap and note which direction the club is pointing, as well as when the golfer slows down. With these two clubs, two clues, it should be relatively easy to find the ball. Given enough power or momentum and certain distance, the ball can fly over or pass through trees, water hazards, and sand traps. When the ball stops on the green, a green close-up view will be shown on the screen instead of the fairway view. With an accurate shot, however, you can enter the club directly from the fairway view without going into the close-up view. Whenever the, ball enters, whenever the ball enters the rough, it will stop or lose power and become invisible depending on the position of the difficulty switches. When hitting the ball from the rough, it starts with one half the normal momentum. It takes twice as much power as on the fairway or green. The left difficulty switch is used by the left player in a two, and in the two-player game, in a two-player game, or the only pl player in a one-player game. The right difficulty switch is for the right player in a two-player game. A position is for advanced, B is for beginner, and in the B position, the cup or each hole, uh, for each hole will be large and the ball will stop at the edge of the rough. The rough is the blue area on the screen which surrounds each fairway or green. Okay, I think in the field report I was calling it the water, but it's not. It's the rough. In A position, each hole will be smaller in size, and the ball will travel off course and into the rough if hit too hard. The ball loses power while traveling through the rough. In two-player games, the left player starts and plays the entire hole, then the right player shoots the same hole, followed by the left player shooting the second hole, etc. Scoring is done automatically by the computer. Each time your golfer hits the ball, one stroke is recorded by the computer. Your objective is to have a low score to match or beat the par for each hole, and ultimately the par for the entire course. And that is how you play golf. Golf was developed by Tom Rudadol of Atari and published by Atari Inc. As I said, in 1980, a review of this game comes from, of all places, Golf Digest. Jim Vrabel, or Jeff Vrabel, or Jeff Vrabel, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think that's how you say it, wrote a piece for GolfDigest.com. Headline, 37 years later, Atari 2600 Golf remains the finest in sports video game simulation. The article opens with, everything was better the way it used to be, which is why you buy vinyl copies of records you already own, watch Netflix reboots on Moss, and apparently go to theaters to absorb five god-awful synapse-pounding Michael Bay movies vaguely based on toys you broke in 1986. The one cultural region where this aggressively nostalgic approach makes sense is video games, because if you are like some of us, you stopped upgrading purchasing them 20 years ago. Haven't the foggiest clue how to effing move your effing Boba Fett character in effing Star Wars Battlefront in a forward-like direction and would just rather play the games you grew up with. When life was uncomplicated, easy to master, and built entirely out of two centimeter thick squares. Which brings us to Atari 2600 and specifically golf, which remains, at the risk of sounding hyperbolic, the best golf video game on the market, and by market, I mean the antiquities and curio shack behind the cracker barrel by the exit to 65 South. He goes on to say that, yeah, the game looks pretty basic, uh, although the trees are pretty, and pretty much look like trees. He does kind of speculate who the golfer on the front cover of the uh, of the box, who the, the, the golfer on the gut box is. He, he, box is. he suspects maybe it's Arnold Palmer. Uh, actually, what he says is that is very probably a version of Arnold Palmer that did not actually require paying Arnold Palmer. We're also pretty sure that's Lonnie Anderson, but can't find anyone with whom to fact check. Talks a little bit about how to play. And then he says, is golf hard? No! Exclamation point. That's the beauty of it. Other golf games paint you do things like select clubs, avoid obstacles, make choices, and be good at video games. Golf boils the game down to its basis metrics. Take stick, hit ball, hope for best. Infrequently end up accidentally in the correctish area, act like you totally meant to do it. Yes, other video games make golfers appear human instead of semi-mobile scarecrows with gigantism of the face, but that's just part of the Atari charm. All right. Well, after the break, we link to the field report, drive over there, the fairway, and with a stroke of luck, 
take a shot at the whole business. More golf puns to come. Caddyshack, Happy Gilmore, The Legend of Bagger Vance. There might be other golf stories that are legendary or that exist at all, but I can't think of any. And I can't think of any, especially, that rank up there with what you're about to hear in this field report. So let's do it. Alright, I'm on hole number two because I didn't feel like starting over. I played hole number one as I was sort of getting ready for today. It only took me an hour or so. Uh, I'm exaggerating a bit, but not much. So we have our golfer on the tee. Uh, we have sort of a, I guess it's kind of a dog leg. It's actually more of a horseshoe shaped course or hole. Um, there's a couple trees down the fairway, sand trap, uh, the putting green, and then a whole lot of water around it. I have the uh, I have the settings on on B, so the ball doesn't disappear completely in the water traps. Uh, it just kind of goes to the water's edge. I'm going to play a little bit of this, but I don't know if I will make you listen to me try to do the whole hole because I don't know that anyone deserves that. So let's see what happens. All right, I'm going to hit a drive. Position my guy in the position I think he's supposed to be in. Well, that was unimpressive. guess see here's the thing the course I guess looks sort of like a golf course the guy I, I have a really hard time telling what position the guy is in because I mean I know you're supposed to move the guy so that he's you know up or down or whatever but he does this weird clock you know spinning golf swing thing and I can't figure out in my head. I can't, intellectually I get how he's supposed to be positioned to hit a ball a certain direction, but I, in the execution, I, I get very confused. Also, it doesn't seem to matter. Supposedly, the longer you hold down the button, the farther the ball goes, but it doesn't really seem to matter. getting somewhere. Alright, okay, that was a pretty good shot. Now we're getting into the trees though. Nope, stay away from that tree ball. Oh, stupid ball. sounds 
not so great, right? This is 1970s or 80, maybe. I'm not sure. I haven't looked up the date yet. All right, I'm approaching the sand trap. Uh, oh, I'm in the sand. Might as well build a sand castle. What I started to say was the sounds are pretty basic. I would like a little more sound. I guess I'm more used to the sort of the relatively lush-looking uh, PC golf games I would play in the uh, the 80s and the 90s. Uh, this isn't that. Um, this is very basic blocky stuff. I'm approaching the putting green. Alright, I'm on the putting green. This hole, actually, awful as it sounds, is going better than hole one did. Alright, so I'm on the green. Where the hell's the ball? Oh, there it is. I positioned my guy on the opposite side of the green from where the ball was. Not that way. Okay. Let's do more of that. That was a pretty good putt. Didn't go very far, but it was in the right direction. Alright, even better. Boom! Two putts, y'all! Maybe I'm getting this hang of this game. Well, I won't make you listen to another hole. Um, just tell you, hole three water right away, another horseshoe shaped thing, I guess it's supposed to be like a dog leg. Uh, we got it, one tree in this one. Uh, sand trap on the opposite side of the putting green. Could be a bit of a challenge. Uh, I think I'm starting to get the hang of it though. I hate to stop. Now I actually seem to know what I'm doing. Nope, in the water. That's why it beeped. Quiet you. Alright. make you listen to the rest of that. Uh, I guess this is becoming kind of addicting. I need to stop now. I need to save my golfing soul. Back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about golf. I found the game frustrating. It was only towards the end of the field report that I finally started to get how to do it. And I think I actually do mention in the field report that uh, I kind of didn't want to stop because I was starting to, to, to get it. I was starting to figure out what to do. Uh, and that's kind of the thing with these golf games. Because I remember playing golf games a fair amount on like my PC in the 90s. There were some really cool-looking golf games, and I would I like to play those. Um, I'm not an athlete. I'm not a sports guy. I, most sports I 
to take or leave. But as a kid and throughout high school and college, I did play golf. The golf team, in fact, is the only high school sports team I ever kind of half-heartedly tried out for. I did not make the team, deservedly so. Uh, I didn't deserve to make the team in my entire life. I don't know that I've ever beat a score of 60 on a nine on nine holes. So uh, I, I, I'm not good is what I'm saying. And at some point in college, I quit playing because I figured out I'm in college and I'm broke and golf is really expensive. So I stopped playing. And then I, I still have my clubs. I had actually had a pretty nice set of clubs and I still have them, even though I haven't touched them in 25 years except to move them from house to house as I've moved. Uh, but I can't part with them either because they're nice. And golf is fun, actually, even though I'm not good at it. And I keep thinking, well, maybe someday my kids will get into it and I'll, I'll want to play golf with them. So I, I keep the clubs. All of which is to say that it didn't shock me that I'm not good at this golf video game because I was not great at golf in like real life. I do think the game is frustrating, but as always, remembering it's a 1980 video game, uh, I think it's as good as, and certainly better than, many of the other Atari games that were out at that time. So, I got no complaints, really. I would be lying if I said I didn't feel like going back and playing a little bit more after this recording, now that I kind of know what's going on. Um, so, I guess, if that's your metric, um, maybe it's a pretty good game. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Peanut Putter Butter. Chuck, Monster Putter Higgins, leaned forward and with a grimace, reached up with his right arm and tapped the video function of his teleconference software so that he could see what Charlotte, 2,000 miles away, was holding up. The pain from yet another rotator cuff injury was unpleasant. These conference calls were worse. Right, Charlotte said. Can you see this all right? I'll email it to you later. It's a mock-up of the label we'll be using on the jars. What's that gray patch in the middle? Chuck asked. Oh, that's where the photo will go. We'll talk about that in a minute, Charlotte said. I told you I'm not doing a photo for the label, Chuck said. In a minute, silly, Charlotte giggled a bit awkwardly. So, we settled on the name, Monster Peanut Butter, right? We're going with that? Chuck didn't like how this was going. Yeah, only I thought it was Monster Peanut Putter, Chuck said. You know, like my nickname, Monster Putter. Charlotte smiled. The gap in her teeth was sort of endearing. That's where this gets cool, she said. Look here. Charlotte held up a second mock-up. This one had the lettering slightly different. See, Charlotte explained, in this one, the wording is monster peanut putter with a P, but we've got the P off-center, as a B shoves its way into the word with one of those, uh, what do you call it? Carrot. Carrot symbols, right? Charlotte thought for a moment. Don't know if carrots and peanut butter go together, but hey, so long as people buy it, right? No, wait, not carrot like the vegetable. The carrot is spelled different when it's the symbol. Chuck started to say, but didn't pursue it. Charlotte was enjoying her joke. I guess that's okay, he said, switching gears. But what about the photo for the gray spot? Charlotte made a please-don't-shoot-me face. Oh, uh, well, that's where the famous Chuck Monster Putter Higgins photo will go, of course, Charlotte said. 
So anyway, hold on, Chuck said. We're not doing the costume thing you said last time, right? Charlotte chuckled. But it's funny, kind of whimsical, not taking all this too serious. It's your trademark, right? Charlotte's argument was not without merit. Once during the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, Chuck had played each of the 18 holes wearing a different pirate costume. Chuck the Monster Putter Butter Man. People will love it. There could be t-shirts, merchandise. We'll make buttloads of cash off that while also promoting the peanut butter, Charlotte said. I'm not dressing up like a peanut to sell peanut butter, Charlotte, Chuck said. That stuff is done. I'm retired now. Charlotte gently waved. We'll stick a pin in that for now. She picked up her phone and looked at the time. Shoot, I gotta go. So I'll tell the graphics guys to jiggle with the font a little bit. Maybe something more nutty? I don't know. And I'll text you the details of the photo shoot. Charlotte, Chuck started to say. Catch you later, Charlotte said and disconnected the call. Chuck, the monster putter Higgins, sat back in his desk chair, which aggravated the herniated disc in his back. Bad shoulders and a bad back. It was hell to be old at 40. Sure, being old and winner of all four major golf tournaments, the Masters, the U.S. Open, the British Open, and the PGA Championship, helps. But still. Chuck went downstairs in search of seltzer water. He wasn't sure why. Black cherry seltzer just sounded really good. The green jacket from the first Masters he won hung on the landing on a fancy wooden hanger that itself cost more than Chuck's first car. Chuck had never quite figured out what he was supposed to do with the jacket, and this seemed as good an idea as any. As to why it hung on the landing, well, it was a landmark of sorts, because the night he won, still wearing that jacket, that landing was all the farther toward the bedroom he and his wife had gotten during their celebration. Chuck wandered into the living room where a mannequin with some crazy plaid pants and wild hair wore the jacket from his second master's. The mannequin was posed as if doing a handstand. Again, the monster putter wasn't sure if this showed the proper amount of reverence for the masters, but this had never really bothered him before. It did kind of bother him now. Chuck turned the mannequin right side up, but for this mannequin, right side up was actually upside down. Its feet were flexed like one might when doing a handstand, unsuitable for standing flat-footed. The mannequin fell stiffly onto the couch, bounced lightly, then landed on the floor, the green of the jacket providing a splash of accent to the mahogany flooring. Chuck's older daughter, Emily, came in from the driving range behind the house, phone in one hand, in the other hand a copy of Monster Putter's book, teed off and loving it. Hey dude, Chuck said to Emily, saw you out there earlier, make sure to keep your arm straight, you're still bending it a little. Yeah, thanks, Emily said as she kept on walking. Hey, uh, you been reading my book? Chuck asked. Emily considered her answer. Um, sort of, no, she said. On the college visit yesterday, this guy's dad gave your book to mom. Oh, does he want my autograph? The, ma- the monster putter said. No, um, Emily tried not to say. He wanted a refund. And they laughed, only he kind of wasn't laughing. Chuck laughed, hearing a punchline that maybe wasn't there. Emily set the book on the coffee table and tried to skitter away. Sorry, Daddy, she said as she left the room. Chuck was pretty proud of that book. No ghostwriter, even at his agent's urging. He did it himself. He resisted the original pitch, a coffee table book of wacky monster putter photos throughout the years. Instead, lots of practical golf advice. Some stories about growing up in Iowa. His philosophy of life. Okay, that part was a little harder. Chuck really did believe, give nice, get nice, in return but it sounded a little corny. And as a result, maybe the book was a little corny too. The book didn't sell great. Charlotte said it was market saturation or something, but Chuck wasn't sure. 
he really thought the style upgrade would work, sort of revamping himself, downplay the wacky and lean harder into the experienced athlete with things to say angle. He wanted to write another book, but now, well, he didn't know. Can't golf, can't write. He almost got a commentating gig for one of the networks airing the golf tournaments, even made it to the screen test stage, but the network decided having the monster putter in the press booth somehow undercut the seriousness of the events. <sighs> what should he do now? Six months later, Monster Peanut Putter Butter came out in crunchy style. The mannequin in Chuck's living room looks really good in Chuck's peanut costume. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Comptech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, but make sure you hit a five-star review straight and true down the Apple Podcast fairway. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. You can call and leave a voicemail too, 563-265-1978. Call and leave a message about any damn thing you want, and there's a pretty good chance I'll play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com for information and links and social media for this show along with my other podcast It's a Podcast Charlie Brown a monthly devotion to all things related to the Peanuts comic strip the TV specials, Charles Schultz the merchandise, the movies we have interviews with actors and playwrights and authors and all sorts of cool stuff over there you love Snoopy or you know someone who does and all of you should be listening to this show Consider supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page, which you can do over there at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, which I will link to in the show notes. Uh, or go over there and just type in Atari Bytes, and it'll come up. By becoming a subscriber, you can get access to episodes early. You can even get bonus episodes, stuff that you don't hear on the regular podcast. Lately, we've been looking at the uh, animated series Pac-Man the Ghostly Adventures, and you're not going to hear me talk about that other than what I just said. On this show, you can only hear it if you're a subscriber to the podcast. Like, for example, Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Corney, and Aerospike. Uh, a little quartet over there is having fun. They're enjoying their time, but they could use some new blood. So head on over and become a subscriber. You can still get uh, shirts and mugs at the AB underscore pod underscore store on Zazzle.com that say, go play some old games. They've missed you, which is a thing you want in your life. So go do that. All right, that's about it. So let's just do this. Next time on Atari Bytes. Sword Quest Fire World. A long time ago, by which I mean like, geez, three years ago maybe, we played one of the Sword Quest games. Uh, I think we even had, I know we had, an interview with the guys who did the Sword Quest comic book. Uh, And now, all these years later, we're playing another one of the Sword Quest games. This one being Fire World. So that's the thing you want to check out, because the Sword Quest games are kind of legendary. So we're going to do that next week on the podcast. Before I go, once more, I'll say uh, farewell, Mad Mike Hughes. Uh, you did it your way. Uh, big props for that. For the rest of us, until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.